Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, it's a uh, football mailbag episode, a lot to talk about following Kentucky's 4-0 start, and then as we move into Florida week here. Absolutely. I mean, one of the biggest, the biggest week, I guess you could say, uh, which is what's going to keep happening every time they win games. Every week's going to become even more important. But, um, you know, like we talked about on Sunday night, they've kind of reached this, uh, the dream scenario that they had to start the year. They're 4-0 with the chance to uh, have a night game against the Florida Gators with the chance to um, truly make a move up in the pecking order, I guess you could say this year, or at least put themselves in position to. So I know we have plenty of questions. Um, shoot, probably 15 or so questions uh, we'll probably get to today. Yeah, and we're going to try to be more thorough and not repeat ourselves with some of these questions. So I might even read seven questions at once before we even address the topic, <laughs> because I noticed that we have a bunch of questions about Kentucky's turnover issues. So I, I think that we should kind of loop all those into one and maybe just spend maybe five to 10 minutes here, just talking about the turnover turnover issues before we even move on to other questions, Derek, and kind of just maybe hit on everything. Uh, but before we do that, uh, this episode is powered by blue wire pods. It's also powered by the butcher's pub. You got three locations. You got Pondville, Williamsburg, and London, Kentucky. You can visit thebutcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook. So there's almost as many Butcher's Pub locations as there are fumbles in Kentucky games now, Derek, So which is uh, certainly quite a few. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, Kentucky at 14 fumbles. I mean, what's most impressive is that they haven't, I guess, or is it most impressive that they fumbled 14 times and they've lost, what, four, it's, I think, this year? Someone's living right is all I'm, I'm going to say. 14 through four games. Yeah, which leads us into multiple questions. So Stephen has this one. I don't want to drop the ball on this, and I'm fumbling to find the right words. <laughs> really, really good there, Stephen. But what can the coaches do in practice to get the players to hold on to the ball tighter? UK goes 0-4 the next four weeks if this continues. And then obviously, Derek, we have more questions along those lines too uh, right here. From Tim, he said, how does this team prevent the turnovers will be crucial in future games? So let's just answer those two there. I mean, surely they're working on ball security and practice. I tweeted that during the game that night. I said, what the heck do these guys do during the week? And then when you go back and watch some of these fumbles, like the one and there's no excuse for Rodriguez fumbling the ball on the goal line, but the first one against Missouri was a helmet on the ball. And then when you go back and watch Ali's, the last one Saturday night, yeah. there was a helmet on the ball. I know that that those are just good hits, but you still got to secure the football in those spots, especially when you're trying to close out games. Yeah. Um, in terms of what they can do, I'll just say what Mark Stoop said. And he talked about going through the turnover circuits and practice, really making it an emphasis. And he, he brought up a good point. I mean, it's, it's, you know, not, not groundbreaking, but he mentioned basically as long as, teams know that you have a turnover issue which uh, I think Kentucky certainly does I mean that's going to become a, a major emphasis for every single team you play so every time they're carrying that ball a little bit loose that's what Florida's defense is going to be kind of keyed in on all week trying to come up with those big plays force turnovers so you know it's one of those things that I think definitely has to be on everyone's mind uh, as, as an offensive player is that uh, the teams know you're susceptible to this they're going to be kind of hunting it out and uh, you know i I don't know. I didn't play football. I didn't go through practices. It's never been an issue at UK to this magnitude that it has been this year. So I don't really know. 
I think you know, just got to keep preaching it. But at the same time, I don't know what you're supposed to – as a coach, you can only do so much, right? Like when you get into a well, game, the guy's just got to hold on to it. Is this an issue that's been happening in practice? Is this an issue that's been happening in some of those preseason scrimmages? Like, do we know that? Like last yeah, year, we knew that they the had scrimmage. some – like last year, we knew they had some red zone issues, right? Remember Eddie Grant talked about yeah. it all fall. We knew that that was a problem. Then it was definitely a problem in the regular season. So, like, has this been something – I wonder, maybe it's something we ask. Has this just been something that's happened the last three or four weeks, or was this something that was kind of leading up to kickoff? I don't remember hearing a, a great deal about turnovers. And, again, the way that they practice, I mean, really those scrimmages are probably the only time you would even be able to to know just because, you know, most of the time they're not going full-out contact, you know, game speed and, and practice. Really the scrimmages in the preseason are the only time you do that. So I wouldn't have been surprised if – you know, like you think about the practice we got to see, that's a lot of what they do in the preseason. And um, not really a ton of opportunities there to be putting it on the deck a ton. But, you know, interceptions, even that. Like, I don't I don't think Levis would have been super turnover prone because if he was, would he have won the job in nine days or whatever it was? Like, probably not. So, yeah, on the turnovers, I mean, I just don't think it's, it's got to be written about. It's got to be talked about because it's a huge storyline. But in terms of what they can do, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, a group of and, – and the most odd thing, as you could say, is it's guys who – well, they have been around a while for sure. Ali and, and Rodriguez are the two that are popping out in my head. But, you know, Smoke had one. But Rodriguez had the two fumbles in his debut. Well, I don't know if it was exactly his debut. But the first time in 2019 when he got in there, he fumbled twice. And that, you know, he went to the bench for a long time. I think what, four or five games, right, before he came back. And – when he came back, he was good at securing the football all the way up until the Missouri game. And ever since then, it's become more of an issue. And then Ali, you remember he fumbled last year against yeah. Tennessee. You know, he's, he's, he's got a tendency to get that ball out there a little bit, get it a little bit loose. And, um, you know, I, I'm, obviously they want to use him in those jet sweeps. It's two straight games. I mean, he scored the touchdown against Chattanooga and then against uh, – South Carolina, he got a had a good game on one of those sweeps. So he's doing good things in terms of getting yardage, but just got a. You know, and those were good plays maybe, Saturday night too. Seems like, like he gets in some trouble when he starts trying to make some cutbacks. It was the same yeah. deal against Tennessee. So you know he maybe just maybe take what's there. Don't try to be a hero. And uh, and again, like you said, it, it, when I went back and watched it, it was a pretty good hit on him that second time, but point still stands he tends to get the ball out there a little too much probably and, and honestly you know if if it weren't Chris Rodriguez and Cavassier Smoke and, and others having problems with it I would have probably said that maybe Josh Ali just being a blocker for so long might have had some issues with not carrying the ball yeah. in games but when you have your running back who's carried it for three years doing the same thing it's not just a Josh Ali issue like it's across the board here ball security is a problem and we had some more questions, too. I'm not going to read all of them. A second take asked about fumbles. Venice asked about them. Robert asked about them. So they're pretty much repetitive questions, so we're not going to ask, answer those. But I will answer this one from Brandon. Should the Kentucky offense dedicate the whole week of practice to ball security? Eric, probably 80% of it needs to be hanging on to the football in some, some capacity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to get your reps in. You got to feel good about the plays you're going to be running. So you got to spend time on that. But absolutely, I mean, all the meetings, <laughs> excuse me, all the meetings, all the time they're going to be spending talking. You've got to uh, for sure make that a point of emphasis. I'm sure John Settle, the running backs coach, will. I mean, Rodriguez is the most worrisome because you know you have to have him. I mean, you saw 
that first and uh, first and goal from the floor, like we talked about, it was the second Rodriguez fumble. You know, they didn't put it back out there that drive. I personally think the way they're running the ball Saturday, if you give Rodriguez three tries or so from the four yard line, I bet he gets in. But um, at, at that, in the moment, I remember like in the heat of it, Sean, I, I don't blame him at all for not putting Rodriguez back out there. I mean, he's already fumbled once on the goal on this year. He fumbled, you know, that, that was a bad one. I thought, cause it was just, I mean, some of these fumbles are almost too easy. Like the second Rodriguez fumble was just a guy very easily knocking out of his hands. I mean, that was, that was, that one was bad. Um, so I don't blame them at all, but I'll make that point to say like, you know, you're going to need him out there uh, on the team. So he's got to get that figured out. And uh, Smoke's done a good job since that first game. You know, he's not put it back on the deck and had he fumbled much before. I don't really remember him fumbling a whole lot. And again, he's been mostly, you know, third string or whatever, or, or second string at some points. He's never really been a lead back in his career like Rodriguez is now, but I don't think it's been a huge issue for Smoke in his career. No, I don't really recall him putting it on the turf too many times. But uh, Jared goes, is the offense capable of fixing the turnover issues? I mean, I I would say so. I mean, Chris Rodriguez, Derek, has not had a problem with this for two years. And then it all of a sudden becomes a problem. So I'm going to I'm gonna say that they can fix it. These guys have played football long enough. The fumble issues, I think, can be fixed. Uh, now, decision-making and stuff on, on Will Levis interceptions, I think that you're going to have to live with some interceptions from Will Levis. If they're going to throw the ball, there's going to be some bad decisions made. There's going to be some good decisions made. I just think that that's going to happen. But if you can get away from fumbling the football, then I think that that, that alone is going to be a big enough improvement for Kentucky to maybe put themselves in better positions. I can You can live with an interception here or there, but a fumble, you just can't have those. Yeah, I, th- I agree. I think they can fix the fumbling issues. I mean, this is it's extreme right now how much they're fumbling. It's it's rare to see this many through four games. Um, I, I agree with you too on the on the interceptions. I mean, Levis has thrown at least one pick every single game. Um, I thought the first two games they were not poor decisions. So if there was through those first two games, I think everybody was kind of all right with it, just because. You knew if you made better throws on those that they would have been um, completions. And I think you feel better. I mean, you still hope that he can make those throws, but you feel better knowing he's not just making horrible decisions. Uh, Against Chattanooga, you saw him get greedy through a pick. Second one I still do not think was really a bad decision. Needed a better ball there. And then I did think against South Carolina it wasn't a – it seems like that one might be the most debatable one out of all the ones he's thrown. I would lean the side of saying he should not have thrown that pass, but I, I understand well, people who think a better throw could have could have led to a touchdown. Well, against Missouri, you remember Mark Stoops was talking about the throw he made to Wandell there in the fourth quarter. That's not one that you want to overthrow. You want to underthrow it and let him make a play. Well, when you're throwing and they're running, it's double coverage there, and you underthrow that ball to Wandell at South yeah, Carolina, that is getting picked. <laughs> That's one that yeah. you want to overthrow. But the only way that they were in the heat, I mean, there was a there was a window there, but it would have had to have been a perfect throw to the corner of the end zone. And that's what I'm talking about. Like, if yes, that could be true, and I would say it probably was true. And again, this all happens fast. I understand. Like, this is a split second decision. Like, you don't have. I'm sitting here watching it on tape, so it's easier to sit here and critique it. He. He's got a great arm. Everybody knows that. But even he did not have enough arm strength to, to be fading away, basically, sliding the other way and try to throw it across his body 50 yards down the field. I mean, that's very difficult to do. So had he been in a spot where he could have maybe stepped up or stepped over a little bit faster, 
got more of his body into it, maybe he could have made a throw that would have only been an overthrow. But so that, to me, that's where the decision comes in. Like, I'd say he, that guy with the arm that he has, he probably has more confidence than anyone <laughs> maybe in college football that he can, you know, make every pass on the field. And I think he's shown that, you know, he can do that. But, uh, yeah, I think you're just going to live with the interceptions. Um, it, it's not been egregious. Like, he's not sat back and – I mean, shoot, man, I watched the Bengals. Joe Burrow had a series against or the, uh, the the second half against the Bears. I think he threw three straight interceptions yeah. on three straight passes, uh, something like that. Like, it's not – he's not having a run like that where every time he drops back, you think it's getting picked. But, you know, he's – it's – up to this point, it's mostly outweighed. And even that interception against South Carolina didn't really hurt him just because – it hurt, like I said, in the sense that – you have a good drive going. You're you're not far out of field goal range, and you throw a pick. But in terms of what it meant in the game, it, South Carolina had to start inside its own one. So I mean, you're putting an offense in the toughest spot possible, at least. Well, and and Ben wants to know: Do we think Levis can fix his issues? It seems like he has been a steady decline since the start of the season. First time, first game, great. Missouri, pretty good. Chattanooga, average. USC, average. Passing the ball, of course. His running has been awesome, and. And, Derek, I want to bring up this point. I mean, obviously, we know that Terry Wilson had his struggles throwing the football at UK. But early on in that first season, they were taking shots down the field. They were throwing the ball. And then he started having an issue throwing interceptions. And then if you you got into that middle part of the game there, South Carolina, Texas A&M, Missouri, it's almost like once he threw some interceptions and made some mistakes, that it's like someone – told him to be aware of those and it's almost like he just put so much pressure on himself I don't I don't really ever recall Terry taking shots down the field after that and I think that there's a line here to where you want to tell Will to hey you know be smart with your decisions but I don't think you want to throw the chains on him because it's it it can become a mental thing absolutely can't throw the chains on him no you, you can't I mean if Stoops has if Stoops should have learned anything um I don't want to phrase this. I think there is always going to be a natural reaction from a defensive head coach to never want to put his defense in a bad spot. I think he saw how those guys were playing the other night, how good the defense was playing. And basically for his offense, he he wanted them to, to do enough, basically, to be in a spot where the defense could win it for him. And that's that's pretty much how it played out. I mean – Last night was was extreme, or not last night? Sorry, Saturday night was extreme. I mean, we're going back like three nights now, right? <laughs> this is Tuesday. I got to move on. Uh, Saturday night, you know, they they were just turning it over so much, or at least you know having having chances to have turned it over. Because I mean, you had four fumbles, but you only lost two. But it, it did have that feeling like something bad was going to happen almost every single time they were turning around to, to hand it off. And you can't really play that way as an offense. Like you got to keep being aggressive you can't really think about the turnovers but I do think Stoops just wanted enough points to where the defense could could win it for him and the offense ended up putting 16 on the board had a chance to you know for some more if they could have punched a few of those uh, field goals in for for touchdown but what I'm what I'm it's a lot it's a long way for me to say the whole reason he went out and hired a new offensive coordinator was to try to bring a different element to try to bring a true passing game they can't shell up. They cannot shell up and get back in that point where you're just so concerned about not putting the defense in a bad spot. You got to continue to be aggressive. 
16 points was enough against South Carolina. 16 points is not going to be enough the next three weeks. You're going to have to have some aggressive play, especially this week against Florida with the way Ty Grantham plays. I mean, pretty infamous in college football, third and Grantham. You know, I mean, he's super aggressive, uh, doesn't always follow logic. So I think there's going to be some chances to have some big plays for UK in this game through the air. And when they have those opportunities, you hope that it's going to be like those first couple of weeks where they were very good uh, connecting on passes down the field. And, and then Ben has a question about the defense. Is this the real defense or was this like the best they can be and Missouri and Chattanooga is the worst? And somewhere in the middle is the real defense. Derek, I think the biggest difference is, and we've talked about this, you and I have had a lot of discussions that I think that this defense got used to having an offense that really couldn't capitalize, couldn't make plays, and they, they were playing kind of to not make a mistake or to not give up the big play. I thought Saturday night, I thought the offense making mistakes put the defense in situations to where they had to be aggressive. And I think that's, that, that's why you saw them making a lot more plays. You saw them get three, fourth down stops. I think they had no choice but to get aggressive, get after it. And I think you saw an energy from them that we hadn't seen this year. Yeah, I think that's a good point for sure. Um, in terms of what they are, you know, they're not going to hold many SEC teams to 58 yards. I mean, that's incredible. That's, that's a, a job well done um, by that group of guys. So, I don't think they're – I mean, when you go and look at the total points allowed, yards allowed and things, like they've not been horrible. I mean, they've not allowed more than 28 in a game this year. And I know it's not always looked good. And the way that the drives were getting converted there against Missouri and Chattanooga it made it even more frustrating because it seemed like they were in a lot of third and – third down situations and they just couldn't get off the field. Um, this will be a really good test. I mean, Florida's third nationally in rushing offense. They've got a strong quarterback run game. The quarterback run game that UK has obviously not seen this year. This is going to be a – and especially if Anthony Richardson's healthy, and it sounds like he is. You're talking about two guys who are, who are dual threat. And then they, they – five running backs have gotten carries this year, Sean. And uh, star ratings, you know, you can throw them out the window, I guess, sometimes when guys get to college. But the two guys who don't really play a whole lot were both five stars in high school and Demarcus Bowman and uh, Lorenzo Lingard. So – you know, you're going to see a lot of Damian Pierce, Malik Davis, guys like that who uh, have been around a little while and, and are, they have they just have a really nice running back room. And I think this is going to be a huge challenge for Kentucky's defensive front that didn't look so great against the run game for a lot of this year. Oh, well, the, the two the two middle games, uh, Missouri. Well, Missouri didn't really try to run it, but more so Chattanooga was the one game that it seemed like Chattanooga kind of did whatever they wanted. Can they step up again this week? Uh, we'll have they'll have to. I mean, if they're gonna have any kind of chance, if you can't stop the run, you don't have much of a chance in this league. I thought my call was awesome against yeah. South Carolina. I thought a lot. Of, I mean, Oxdon played well. Ever, I mean, there was no one on the defense that didn't play well against South Carolina. All three levels worked really well together. But you, you definitely want to try to get this Florida team in in passing situations. And I don't think Emory Jones is a horrible quarterback by any means. He had a pretty good day against Tennessee. I think he's capable. Of, of, of beating you through the air, but but you would at least like to be in that spot where you can put them in a lot of third and third and long situations. And David has a question here about the offense. Outside of Robinson, does Levis have any other guys that can catch the ball? Now, after four games, looks like he's the only one Levis keys on. Going forward, defenses will start doubling Robinson. Then what? Excellent question. When you look at the box score and you look at the stats from Saturday night, it was a lot of Wandell. Ali mixed in, but then there wasn't a, 
a lot of other options there, Derek. You, they're going to have to spread this thing around. I mean, Wandell's going to get his targets. But I think you kind of want to see a second and third guy emerge there. If Wandell's going to require so much attention and get doubled, someone else is going to have to step up and make some plays, and they should have opportunities to do it. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, Wandell, I mean, they can be creative enough to still be able to get him targets and get him going. I actually wrote this in my column for the um, uh, ish, uh, Cat's Paws print issue. I'm a little surprised and – you know, if they've, they've these SEC games, they've really focused on rounding the ball, and it makes sense, it's what they're good at. But, um, only eight catches this year through four games for the tight ends, yeah. So, it's 18% of the completions that they've had have only gone to tight ends, and one of those was Jordan Dingle from uh, Bo Allen and Garbage Time in week one. So, Rig has five catches, Bates has four, Cummings has three, and there, there have been touchdowns, though. Obviously, both Bates and Cummings have touchdown catches. Um, I think you're going to see more of that as the season goes on. I mean, it would have been nice if I had Keaton Upshaw this year. But, I, I mean, to me, Bates looks pretty good when he gets opportunities. Cummings, you know, is athletic, does some good things. Rig has just been so steady for a long time. So, given how much they talked about getting tight ends involved, I am surprised that that they only have – 18% of the completions through here. Um, and we talked about it. I don't know if we talked about it on Sunday, if we just, I mean, we talked so much Saturday and stuff. I forget what we said here and what we don't, but no, only two wide receivers. There's just one Dylan Ali who caught passes against South Carolina. So, I mean, you, you would like to see another receiver step up, but let's, this is not me picking on the kid. It's just kind of been the truth. Like when SEC play rolls around, Isaiah Epps has not done very much in his career and he's in his fifth year now. I mean, he was a total non-factor against uh, South Carolina. It's like you forget he was even out there. So you would like to see him step up. Maybe he can make a big play. You, you would think he has a potential to be a, a vertical threat. And he could have had some better numbers too. I mean, against Chattanooga, Levis missed him. I think he could have had a pretty long touchdown. Maybe that would have helped him. But still, in terms of actually talking about the SEC games, it has been a heavy dose of Wandell and a little bit Ali, and that's been about it. And, and... – what you see is, yes, the, the offensive passing game has improved, but there's still a ton of work to do in that wide receiver room, that they need more, they need to develop more, they need to recruit more, and that's going to be there. That's not changing in just one year. Wondell is great, Ali is good, but they need more from that group, and you, you want to see some other guys emerge. But there's a couple of questions here that I, I want to put together from different people. One is positive, one is negative. Second take, has the kicking game silently become one of Kentucky's strengths? And then Robert says, can UK fix its issues with their punt team and punt return team? So you got obviously their kicking game. Ruffalo, Derek, since he took over, has been magnificent. I think second best percentage in, in school history to this point, 20 to 24 on field goals. He's been excellent. Three of three Saturday night, one of my game MVPs. But then you still have Kentucky when Wandell's not back there. You've got them giving up so much field position by not fielding punts that it actually set Kentucky's offense back multiple times. Has Ruffalo missed a kick that was not blocked or a bad snap since he missed the extra point against Ole Miss? I feel like he hasn't. I could be wrong on that, but maybe that's what really locked him in. He, he has. He's been great. Only only kick that was missed this year was was obviously the block against Missouri. Um other than that, I mean, he's been very reliable, really an unsung hero, I guess. He didn't have any 
I would say difficult field goal attempts. I mean, to me, anything for a college, I mean, college kickers are, you know, you, you never know. You never know what you're going to get. But, like, you would think anything, typically 45 yards and in, there should be a good chance to be made. I think after that, maybe it gets quite a bit tougher. But Ruffalo's got a good leg. I can't remember where he kicked, uh, what his longest was this year. Or maybe I was watching him in warm-ups. But he's got, I mean, he has some distance. I bet you yeah. know he could probably hit from, from 50. I would say he'd probably feel comfortable running him out there. He at least has the leg strength to get it there. Has, you know, he might not, might not be as accurate. but Has he kicked one at right at 50 before? It seems like he has. I can probably pull up his profile. Um, seems like he's kicked a pretty long field goal at one point. I don't. I know it wasn't this year. Yeah. Um, this is a fifth-year guy. Yeah, he's only missed three field goals in his career coming into this season. And then the Missouri one was blocked, so that counted mm, as four. Yeah. Um, his long this year is 45, and then Ruffalo's long in 2020. Let's get it to pull up right here. UK's website's running slow. Um, but real quick while this is loading, on the punt return issue and also punting issue, their their punting is is a clear needs – I mean, I'll say needs to be addressed. Obviously, they had the idea that Wilson Berry would have been the guy this year. He's been hurt, basically, and I guess they liked what Goodfellow had done, but the punting was a big issue. I mean, I think he was barely – I think he was barely clearing like what forty yards yeah. on some of those punts. It was not good. It was not good enough. And uh, maybe everybody got spoiled with Duffy the past few years. But um, you know, it's that's been a problem. And the punt return. I mean, yes, they are they are giving up too much yardage uh, in that area. I mean, for a long time, I wouldn't say people complain. People observe that you had guys like David Bouvier, guys like Charles Walker, who didn't really have many returns. They, they were just shorthanded guys. Mm. Well, I think you would really like to have something like that <laughs> right it's, now. I mean, you weren't really losing about, a lot yeah. of yardage with those guys. In punt return, it's not about making a big play and getting yards. It's about securing those yards that you don't want to give up and lose by fielding it. And, I think that one at South Carolina, and again, it was kicked in a spot where Ollie would have had to run through some traffic to make a play. Maybe they just got unlucky, but I think it hit at the 25 and it rolled all the way inside the five. Yeah. So that's, you know, you got to fill that 20 yards. And real quick on Ruffalo, he did. He had a 50 yarder against Missouri last year. That's, that's his career long. So he can. We know, we know that he's good yeah. for 50. And if I remember that kick correctly, it would have been good for about 55, 56, probably. So he he's definitely has some legs. So that that's very encouraging for sure. That has become a strength, something that there for a bit was a significant weakness. Uh, after Austin McGinnis left the program after he graduated. But moving on. Uh, he's actually at 250 yard. He won against Arkansas as well in 2019. That's So we we know that if it comes down to it Saturday night, they're going to try to kick that field goal uh, for sure. But moving on here, let's go to Brad's question. Is the new running scheme harder to block for than last year? Just wondering if that makes it harder to adjust. I don't, I don't want to say that it's harder, Derek. I just think that it's different the way that they scheme things up in this offense that we knew that everything changed, uh, whether it was pass pro run scheme blocking, all of it changes. And, and some of it too changes from game to game. So I think that that you're seeing that right now too. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that uh, you summed it up well. I mean, these guys are getting used to I think you saw week one. It was a bit of a struggle just because they hadn't you know, actually performed that way in a game. But. I think you see him getting better. I thought the running back vision was better this past week, probably as good as it's been. And um, they'll need to continue that. And then pass pro, I know a question wasn't asking about pass pro, but I thought, I think it's been okay this year. It seems to me like Levis can help them out a little bit more. Levis has a tendency to, no, not a tendency. He's, I mean, he saw it against Chattanooga. He stayed in the pocket slid a little bit made some guys miss i thought against south carolina though he was he was trying to get outside of the pocket and usually good things aren't going to happen for you when you do that i mean sometimes there's room you can scramble out pick up some yards but the play that got negated by hold was it's probably as bad of a play we've seen levis make this year he rolled out and took like a, what, a 15 yard sack something like that didn't throw it away didn't try to make a play down the field, he just took the sack. And that was him trying to get out of the pocket, running the wrong way. Plays like that, you hope maybe he can step up a little bit if it's there. So he's still learning, though. And um, I'm not going to throw off these three games. They're going to have to play well offensively. But you're seeing a first-time starter in Levis, I think, starting to go, you know, just kind of learning. I think you just see him trying to figure it out. And to me – these final five games after the bye week when they have maybe some of these guys who are arrested or back, maybe DeKal Crowdis is healthy and he can help out. Like whenever you feel like maybe you're at more full strength, I will, and, and, the, and the competition won't quite be as hard. That's where I'll be curious to see what kind of strides they can make. Cause he'll be what eight games in probably at that point, it'll be like his eighth start when they go to Mississippi state at that point, I think you want to see the offense really start to click well. Yep. And then David has, what's the status on the six players from the fraternity party issue? Are they going to play this year any? Well, we, we know the report came out last night from uh, Anna Tarullo put it out from BBN tonight that all six players have returned to practice. Uh, we don't know what that means about their status moving forward, Derek. We have no idea what the legal side of that is. All we know is that UK, obviously, there's enough there that Mark Stoops and them felt like they deserve to be back at practice, which I think is an encouraging sign towards maybe them being available at some point moving forward. I had heard I had heard last week that this was likely going to happen, but I didn't hear on when it will be a return to the field for actual games. But as far as getting them back, I didn't expect all six of them, though. No, yeah, that seems, seems encouraging. Um, obviously, there's like a 
I guess, a reacclimation <laughs> process, you could yeah. say, when they've been out that long. You know, you have to go through, I'm sure. Talking, talking six weeks now, right? Since they Yeah, I'm sure you just can't go back out there. Probably have to do some things. So, uh, I, I guess if news comes out uh, at some point today, oh, this is a Tuesday we're recording this, I guess if something comes out prior to Thursday, Thursday's when Stoops is supposed to speak again. Well, to us, but he'll be on the teleconference tomorrow. Basically, I'm curious if news drops that uh, these guys had their charges dropped or whatever. I'm sure that will be something Stoops will want to talk about. So we'll have a better idea of how close these guys might be being to helping out, things like that. He got good news during his radio show last night, and I'm assuming that that's what it was. There's something along those lines because not long after that, we got word that those guys had returned to practice, Derek. So I'm just kind of reading between the lines here and connecting things. And I'm assuming that was some good news uh, that Stoops got. Um, let me make sure – I know there's a couple more questions. Make sure we're not missing anything. Uh, UK Shane, what do you think the next three games will be, one and two or 0 oh and three? If they turn the ball over next Saturday, Florida will beat us. We can't keep doing that. Derek, I've – just looking at these three games – the way that I went during the preseason is I had them going one and two in these three. I had them beating Florida and then losing to LSU, losing to Georgia. Right now I'm leaning towards losing to Florida, beating LSU, losing to Georgia. That's the way that I'm leaning. I think that my pick this week will be that Florida will win. Just given that Kentucky has had the turnover issues, I'm going to lean Florida. So I'm going to say one and two is my prediction. But if they can get this one Saturday – I think it's entirely possible that they could try to get two of they could steal two of three, but they need this first one. Yeah, I mean it's so hard to predict. I mean, if I think if they play clean football, you know, play a good game, I, I absolutely think they could beat one of Florida or LSU, um, yeah. no doubt about it. But in terms of what I would predict, like until we see that this offense is capable of playing a good clean game against a quality team. I'm, I'm definitely going to have a hard time picking them to win any of well, this weekend. I don't want to look past this weekend because if they go out, play well, take care of the football, then obviously it's going to change what I think about the LSU exactly. game. Exactly. If they come out this weekend and turn it over three more times and get beat by 21 points, then, yeah, I'm probably not going to pick them to beat LSU. But talent-wise, UK plays a good game. No doubt. I think they can win one of the next two, if not both. I mean, who knows? I agree. I agree 100%. And if they if they play clean football, I think they definitely leave with a win in one of the next two. I'm not sure which one it is, but if they play clean and they're, they're talented enough, they can win one, if not both of them. But we just need to see what happens on Saturday uh, to see that. I think, like, you put that – you worded that perfectly. Whatever happens Saturday, the way they look, Derek, changes your opinion about LSU. And that's football, right? Like the opinions have changed since Missouri from some people, uh, but they're four and oh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, ben has another question. How did Arkansas get so good so quickly? And boy, they're, they're good. And they have a chance. They could really like, if you're a Kentucky fan right now, you're putting on your whoopig suey hat Saturday with them, <laughs> yeah. going to, with them going to Athens, because we're going to find out Saturday. If this Arkansas, I mean, Arkansas is good, man. Like they, I think they can compete Saturday. Yeah, they're playing really well. Pittman's uh, Pittman's been a great hire down there. Um, I'm not super caught up on Arkansas's roster, but I do, and I I say this because of the transfer portal. I don't know how many of those guys are still around. Um, Chad Morris recruited very well the two years or 
you know, he had he had the one class that had like I think eight four stars in it, which was a really good class for them. I don't, but again, I don't know how much help they've added from the transfer portal. I don't know a ton about Arkansas. I just know that you know Morris got ran out of there so fast because you know it just didn't look like it was going to work. But he he recruited very well. That was one of the highlights of his tenure was that they were able to get really good players uh, onto campus. But yeah, they've crushed Texas and Texas A&M both. They've played really well against those two teams and. You know, if they, man, if they were to go in and beat Georgia in Pittman's second year, he'd probably lock up SEC Coach of the Year right then, uh, I would say. But, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's been a pretty good football program, though. I mean, it has. Especially, you know, Bobby Petrino. I know whenever I was in high school, they were, you know, 10 wins a year. Really good team. Um, people care a lot in Arkansas. The only It's the only Power 5 school in the state down there. Um, great facilities, a lot of money in those facilities. I mean, they, I, I feel like Arkansas should be good at football and basketball. I think they should be good at everything. They are good at a lot of things. They're great at baseball. They historically had a pretty good basketball program. I mean, I think, I think this football program is getting caught back up where it should be. And of course, they've got a tough SEC West is tough to break through, but they've shown in the past they're capable of, of being a double digit win team and, and truly being able to compete for the SEC West. And then Brandon says, thoughts on DeAndre Square situation. My thoughts are he apologized for what he did multiple times and fans from other teams, Louisville, kind of coming at him and stuff on social media, Derek. Uh, I mean, obviously, you and I both want it. We didn't see it live, but we saw the the clip after. I mean, it, regardless, it's not a good look because he could have held up. He didn't have to do it. I mean, he did apologize. DeAndre is a guy for his entire career at UK, has been well-spoken, well-mannered, seems like a really great guy. I'm not going to hammer him for one mistake, but I certainly didn't agree with it, obviously. I don't think anyone really did. Yeah, I mean, I think he summed it up well. It was was a bad look for DeAndre, and, yes, he apologized. And Dexter Belcher, who got pushed over, they call him Tink, he, you know, doesn't seem like there's any hard hard feelings on his end. So if that's the case, really, I guess no reason for anyone else to be – that upset. However, you can't ignore how much this video has been. I mean, it, whatever the definition of viral is, like it hit that. I mean, it was everywhere. Matter of fact, I was watching the Monday Night Football pregame show last night, and Square was on the Come On Man section, which is something I think, you know, we talked about how much people still watch TV and stuff these days. I think that's still like a pretty well known segment, and he was right there. So, I mean, that's millions more viewers <laughs> who, uh, who saw it. So, I mean, it's out there and, um, but you're right. I, I was quite frankly, mm, stunned might be too strong of a word. I was very, very surprised to see that from Deandre square, just because it didn't seem like something he would do. And I'm with you. Like he did it one time. I'm not saying my only thing would be like, don't argue that like it was, like I saw some people trying to say he couldn't slow down and time. Like it was, he didn't have to do that. And he did. And he apologized for it. So it seems like, you know, something both people moved on from very quickly. However, it, it definitely made its rounds and it was enough to where, you know, Stoops talked about it yesterday, but uh, obviously not something that you would think is, is going to linger or anything like that. Yeah. And then we, we have a question here from uh case strategies, 18. What is the point of headlines like this to keep, to keep everyone upset, to reinforce the negative. Sure, we can talk about the obvious, but everyone already knows about the obvious. The defense was extraordinary and incredible. Can't we spend Sunday Sunday just praising them? And it's talking about the Herald Leader defying football gravity. UK keeps finding a way to win in spite of repeatedly getting in its own way. 
I don't think that that's really being negative. That's reading. That's that's the headline. That's the story. Kentucky fumbled the crap out of the football and still found a way to win. But the other thing, too, that I, I don't think a lot of people know, Derek, is there's multiple writers like you have your things that you write and then your coworkers have their stories that they write. It's just the way that it goes. Like certain people are writing certain topics. Some people's covering what the defense did. Somebody's covering what the turnovers were. That's just, that's journalism and trying to get all the news and coverage out there. Yeah. Uh, case strategies. He can spend, could have spent Sunday praising whatever he wanted to, you know, I mean, uh, the defense was great. I'm absolutely certain the Herald Leader wrote a story about the defense. But um, I would also say just because something is obvious doesn't mean you don't talk about it. Like, yeah, the turnovers are a big problem, so they're going to get talked about because, again, it's a theme of the season to this point. Well, look, and... at this mail, look at this mailbag. How many questions yeah. do we have about turnovers? A bunch. Yeah, we, we literally didn't read eight questions about turnovers. Like that, <laughs> if you go through this – it's not us. It's what it's what the fans are talking about. Like the the people that listen to the show are wanting to know why in the hell is Kentucky turned the ball over yeah. so much? Like that's the question. But it, but the positive in that, if you read it, it's a positive. They're still winning despite getting in their own way. They're still winning. Yeah, and case strategies. I don't want to like talk down and then say you know like I understand. I where do. you're coming from, but it's not it's not the job of me or Sean or John Clay at the Herald Leader, Josh Moore, to only be positive or not write about every aspect of it. Like, there are going to be things that, you know, get written about if they're not going well. And um, – I understand coming off a win, you know, maybe not wanting to, you know, to want to talk about the good things. And I, I would assume, again, I didn't read every story from the Herald Leader. I know the first story I wrote was about the defense. I felt like it probably should have been about the turnovers, but I, I ended up writing about the, uh, obviously the game. And then I wrote about, you know, the defense playing very well. Cause that was, I mean, that's kind of the thing that those were the two big stories Saturday. It's one of the easiest games I think I ever remember on the road writing about, because it was so obvious what the big issues were. Um, on both sides, the offense scored enough points, but they didn't look too good doing so. And then the defense was phenomenal, bailing out the offense. So that's kind of what I got. Uh, that's what was written about. But um, you're never going to find 100% people on the same page about – that's just not realistic to expect that people wouldn't talk about the turnovers, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Well, yeah, I mean, when you go – if you read my three takeaways from Saturday – so I, I posted this Sunday morning, and my first takeaway was about the success they had in September. My second one is Kentucky's defense saved the day, and my third one is Kentucky can't keep playing with fire. Yeah. Like, that's just – and then I had tweets Saturday night in this order. Uh, this team isn't beating anyone worth a damn with ball security and turnover issues like this. And then you scroll up, and it says, can't say enough good things about this Kentucky defense. Like it's just the way that it goes. You gotta, we gotta cover everything, Derek, with the good and the bad. Uh, but there were plenty of headlines on Sunday about Kentucky's defense, about Chris Rodriguez leading the league in rushing, about uh, Matt Ruffalo doing what he's doing. Uh, there's, there's plenty of good out there, but there's also always going to be those ones we got to talk about the other stuff too. Uh, Lucas Witt wants to know our thoughts on targeting, Derek. I think I've shared my thoughts on targeting for multiple times 
Uh, obviously, you you leave that rule in. It has to be there. You got to get it out of the game. The only thing that I would change about targeting is the timeline of punishment. If it happens at with four minutes to go in the second quarter, that player should be able to come back with four minutes remaining in the fourth quarter. It should be two quarters. If it happens in the beginning of the third quarter on the first play, they're sitting out essentially an entire football game. They're sitting out the entire half of that game in the first half of the next game. I'd like to see it exactly 60 or 30 minutes from when the targeting happened. That's the only thing that I would make. Yeah, I mean, we'd probably get into, like, litigating it so much. And right now, I don't think – like, not all targeting is created equal. Um, I, I think, at least in turn – I mean, I watch, obviously, a lot of U.K. football. I have not seen many instances, really, in a long time. I can't even think about the top of my head where it was clear a player had bad intentions – and went in with the aspect of wanting to hurt another player by going helmet to helmet. Can you remember a hit like that? Because I, I can't, where it was just so obvious. Like, you know how it used to be back in the day in football? Like, it was – you see some of those old highlights that would get celebrated. I mean, you just cringe at them that's, these days. That's like Yusuf Corker the other night had, like, the perfect hit, hit yeah. that you could have on someone, like the cleanest hit. Basically, like the Auburn game, the Auburn player got – ejected got called for targeting and like what he did was not anything bad like it just happened that the Penn State's player head was going down trying to the end zone he was trying to keep him out and his helmet happened to hit his but it wasn't a cruel hit or anything like that yet it's the same as if a guy was just actually head hunting so I don't think the punishment a lot of a lot of times I think it's too extreme but I mean I agree with you like you have to leave you have to have player safety and you, you have to have a targeting rule, no doubt about it. But I do think it's just too extreme right now. I think guys get tossed and, and miss too much football for, in a lot of instances is what you would probably call a football play. So yeah. it's tough. I think a lot of people want to see that rule changed, but how they go about doing it could be, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And then we have two questions in the DMS here. This one's from Sam. And this kind of goes back to the turnovers and everything, too, but it has penalties in there as well, Derek. Do you think Mark Stoops' commitment to being a completely player-led team can have any issues with discipline? Off-field issues recently, careless turnovers, questionable penalties and timeouts. Seems like a player can make a lot of mistakes without getting chewed out. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, You have to be player-led, I think. To, to an extent, like you have to expect you, you want to have enough trust in your leaders that they can set the tone that it doesn't. I mean, Cal talks about it all the time, right? Uh, being, being player led. And I think Cal almost goes like overboard with it <laughs> in some cases, but like you have to be able to trust like as a coach, you cannot, you know, you got to trust those guys that you have in place in the leadership councils, things like that. We'll be able to convey the message. We'll be able to set the tone. Um, you want those guys to be accountable towards one another, I think, as a coach. Um, you know, I don't know what – I don't coach. I don't know as a – I've never coached college athletes. I don't know what the line is between getting on to guys and, and, like, like, do you just yell at Chris Rodriguez for fumbling twice? You just get in his face and yell at him? Like, obviously knows he can't fumble. So, I don't know what the balance is. I don't know what works. I think you trust that a coach who is around those players as much as he is will know how to coach certain guys. Does that make sense? It does. And, I mean, obviously, he he not 
he Rodriguez not being on the goal line drive there. That kind of tells you what, like, oh, oh crap, I've I've got to get my act together. This is a chance for me yeah. to find the end zone here, and I'm not going to be out there in a situation because my coach doesn't trust me and my teammates don't trust me right now. So that I think you got to get that figured out. And I think uh, honestly, I think that Rodriguez will get it figured out, which leads me into a question from Nick. I should have had this in the fumbles earlier, but it's worded a little different. Are the issues with the O-line pass protection and our fumbles just a result of growing pains with new coaches at those positions and the new schemes or more serious issues that will likely persist all season? Maybe some of the the pass protection and things like that, or it's, it's a new scheme. But fumbling and securing the football, I don't care how you scheme it up, Derek. That's just not taking care of the football on your own. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there, there will be certain growing pains. Maybe you have some games where you don't things don't click the way you want based on your plays, but you're right. I mean, it's football one-on-one, right? Taking care of the football, uh, not fumbling. Like, those are things no matter the new offense. Or I can't imagine John Settle is teaching the running backs to to do things much different than the way Eddie Grand was. So, that, that I think, is uh, – I, I wouldn't put the blame there on, on new changes. I would just think that the players have to really take accountability and – and really make it an emphasis to, to take care of the football. And the coaches, uh, you know the coaches are pounding into their heads, but they can't hold on to it for them. No, and I uh, found one more here in the mailbag, so we have two. Uh, this, this is from Ezra. This question is about the AP poll. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on why UK gets snubbed by teams like Wake Forest, who gets credited for beating Cupcakes, a team like Boston College, who gets credited more votes by beating a Mizzou team in overtime, and why teams like Oklahoma State get ranked in the top 20 by beating an overrated Kansas State team whose best win was Stanford. And also, how does NC State get ranked by beating a Clemson team that can't even find the end zone against the school of the blind when they got crushed by a bad Mississippi State team? Maybe I'm looking too much into it, but would like to hear your guys' thoughts on it. Also seems to be a lot of Big 12 pool with the AP voters because not one Big 12 team has looked at all good this year. Eric, I think a lot of it is perception of the program long-term and how it's viewed. And we know that Kentucky football is certainly better. They are now in the coaches' poll at number 23. We know that they've been receiving votes in the AP poll for a long time, multiple years under Mark Stoops. But until you get that consistency and you do it over and over and over and over again, I think a lot of times these voters, that they look at the name instead of just maybe what's on the field. And I, I just think that that has a lot to do with it. It's kind of, I guess the word I'm looking for is that building that respect and that reputation, because you know that Alabama's always going to be where they are. Georgia's always going to be where they are. Oklahoma, those programs are always going to be there. Even Clemson, a loss, but then you still see them holding on to the final spot of the AP poll because it's kind of hard to just have Clemson unranked because some people think it's Clemson. They're still going to be there at the end of the year. I'd be in favor of getting rid of both the AP. So I don't vote in the AP poll. Um, I think the people who do have that responsibility, I, I think they probably take it pretty serious. But I would be in more in favor if you are going to have an AP poll or coaches poll. And but really, it doesn't really mean anything anymore because you have the college football playoff. That's the big rankings, one. And that's what matters. So, like, maybe back in the day, like when the sports riders, which is a crazy concept, right, the people <laughs> – you decided who the national champion was uh, back in the day. You would vote on it or whatever. Like, these polls don't really mean anything now. They're just really to get upset about. That's what I would say. Uh, like, I, But my thing is, if you are going to have an AP poll, if you're going to introduce some other polls and, and have them for fun or whatever, 
I wouldn't even have one until about halfway through the season. Maybe like week week six or seven, maybe you could – like at that point you would know kind of who the best teams are and then you could rank them. Because you're right, like a lot of this is perception-based. If Kentucky played – oh, let's just pick a team out here. SMU. SMU is the team right in front of UK in terms of receiving votes. Like I don't know who would win that game. I mean, I think Kentucky's wins are probably better. Wake Forest, I mean, I, I watched them play the other night. I think they look pretty good. I think they're a solid team. And uh, uh, I understand that the argument is, hey, Wake Forest beat Old Dominion, Norfolk State, Florida State, who's horrible, and then Virginia, who's not great, but had a good year a couple of years ago. They've looked good doing it, though. They've won every single game by at least 20 points, uh, whereas UK had UK crushed Missouri like they were on pace to. Had they taken care of business against Chattanooga and then looked a little bit better against South Carolina, I bet they would be ranked. What do you think? I bet they would be. They would be. I bet they would have gotten the top 25. But they have played three straight one-possession games against teams that you, you know UK was favored against, and they, they haven't looked great. So I think that's probably why they're not in the top 25 right now. I've not watched every single one of these teams in the top 25 in depth. I understand. Like, I definitely think there are arguments to be made. I think it's a fair question. But if you're UK and you win this weekend, like, you're going to be in the top 25. And it's going to work itself out the more you win. It's just these polls don't really mean anything until the college football playoff rankings come out because those are the ones that do matter. Yep. And final question here is from Dale. He's, he's talking about Jalen Geiger, Derek. He says, is it too far-fetched to continue to see him get more reps and a solid rotation piece next year? His current performance gives us a solid fourth cornerback given our current situation. Depending on how much longer Williams and Phillips are sidelined, him and Valentine could be our starting corners next year unless we find a solid bet in the transfer portal. And then he says, wait, is Jalen playing more safety even though he was recruited as a corner? Are we trying some safeties or more general DBs at corner just from the lack of depth? Yeah, so Geiger is that fourth corner this year. But, yes, he is He is a safety. They moved him to safety early in his career. I think they envision him being a starting safety next season. And I think the hope – obviously, you see the way they're recruiting – they have a Juco cornerback committed. They have Andre Stewart committed. I think Travion Longmire could possibly be a corner. I'd probably lean more, more towards safety. I know there's some talk about him playing wide receiver. That would surprise me. Haven't watched him play. I think he's probably a DB all the way. Um, so they, they – and I do think they're going to go to the portal after the season for a corner, losing uh, Dort after this year. But, you know, you feel good about Valentine. I don't know people are – he was in our mentions a lot asking about Valentine just because he's been kind of visible because they've thrown at him a lot, but he's someone from day one. They've put a lot of, you know, they've really liked him and there's no reason to think he won't be a starting corner last year. If he's healthy or next year, I mean, if he's healthy. So, you know, you're looking for Andrew Phillips to return and then you're looking for these new guys to come in. And if you can get a good player from the portal, I don't think there'll be much of a need to put Geiger at corner, but I think he'll, you know, he, he could have made that pick against Missouri, went through his hands. They scored the next play. That kind of adds insult to injury. But, man, he was he was really good. Flying around, you know, he he was he popped. Uh, he was showing up on Saturday night. And you feel good that if he can keep doing things like that. And it's, it's, it's the same way that Tyrell Asian and Yusuf Corker were when they were playing behind Mike Edwards and Darius West. Asian made a pick against Mississippi State. You know, he made some big plays in 2018, and you felt like moving forward those would be your guys. Well, you want Geiger to be the same way. 
you want him to make enough plays this year to get that experience. And then next year when he's a starter, you hope he can play at a, you know, at a high level. Yeah, absolutely. Very impressed with what he did Saturday night and what he's done to this point. We'll see moving forward this week. Kentucky's going to have to have a lot of guys step up and make plays to, to leave Kroger field with the win Saturday night get, uh, against Florida Gators. That game is now officially sold out. So it should be a pretty wild environment at Kroger field. Derek, uh, we'll both be there covering that we'll move throughout this week with some more coverage uh, working on a couple of guest episodes hopefully we get those lined out this week but that wraps it up for the mailbag thank you all so much for submitting questions he's Derek Terry I'm Sean Smith we'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily <laughs>